Welcome to Sassy. I'm Annie Merlowski and I'm your host. Each week we share the inspiring stories of female leaders throughout the tech industry. Thanks for joining us as we dive into the inspiring stories of career growth and development from women who are leading technology as we know it. Today we are chatting with Tracy Kraft, Vice President of Global Revenue Marketing at Demandbase. I am so excited to have Tracy joining us on Sassy today. Tracy, why don't you go ahead and start us off by telling us a little bit about your role today and kind of what were the key milestones and experiences that brought you there? Yeah, sure. Hey, everyone. It's it's so nice to be here today. Thanks for having me on. And my name is Tracy Kraft. I am the VP of Revenue Marketing at Demandbase. And that means I lead all of the marketing functions that are tied to generating pipeline and revenue for our business. So account-based marketing, integrated marketing, web and digital marketing events, and marketing operations. I got, I got into marketing right out of college. I'm one of the like few people that went to school for what they do today and have always been in B2B situations. And so I, I feel like I has, have sort of been made for, for what I do. I've come up through the demand gen track. So I was most, most closely associated to driving growth for businesses from, you know, an early on stage of my career back before, you know, when terms like marketing operations or marketing technology even existed, not to date myself. And really, really passionate about trying to drive drive growth for a business, but have always been in enterprise IT companies. So my end users were always developers. My uh, champions and budget owners were always VPs of IT or IT directors, CIOs, CTOs, et cetera. And so it's really nice to be at Demandbase where I get to sell to other like-minded go-to-market professionals. So that's how I ended up here. That's awesome. So you did go to school for what you do now, but was this what you wanted to be when you grew up as a child? I think I didn't know what I really wanted to be when I was a child. If you like go back to when I was like a kid or even into junior high, it was like a wide variety of things. I think when I was like six, I had the grandiose idea of being a professional piano player, even though I did not have a piano or never took piano lessons. And then over time, I was really into athletics. So I loved the idea of being close to sports. I was never talented enough to, to think of myself as a professional athlete, but I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a sports therapist or something like that. And then sort of as I hit my teenage years, practicality set in and I thought about like, what do I want to do? And I really had an interest in what motivates people and helping people. And so I, I found a school. I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California, and they have a great business program there. And their motto is learn by doing. And all of these things were just really, really resonant with me. I wanted to learn how to motivate people in in a non-nefarious way and really understand what makes them tick. And I'm very hands-on and, you know, learn by doing is something that is nascent to me. And so I went to school and my education, my landing there, I think was serendipitous for, you know, my career. And it just sort of worked itself out organically from there. I think it's it's fascinating you talk about the practicality because what, do you feel like marketing is practical as as a career path in these days? I think more so than ever. You know, when I when I went to school, you know, it, it sounds it sounds very serendipitous, and it was. I maintain that I'm I'm very 
thankful for my education, but even at the time, there was no notion of education of B2B, business to business marketing. And so we learned all of the practical application of marketing against the consumer. When you think about selling an actual good, right? Selling a phone or, you know, laundry detergent or whatever it may be. And so that was not as applicable to what I do today. But to answer your question, I think, you know, marketing as a profession, absolutely, especially in a B2B environment, because now we're so fortunate to have the technology and information available to us to understand what actually answers the question of what motivates people, what makes people tick, what what works in sort of encouraging them on their own sort of, you know, sales journey or customer journey, whatever you want to call it, that marketing can actually be that scaling mechanism for a business instead of now throwing more humans and more salespeople at a growth target. You can actually rely pretty with conviction on this function and these individuals to help you drive, drive that growth. So absolutely. Definitely. Now I, as a marketer, I entirely agree with you. I was just kind of curious, you know, it's just been marketing is when people talk about, you know, marketing is absorbing with sales. Marketing is a, you know, marketing reports into sales. It's been this evolving field and it's the creatives, right? And so it's, sometimes it's a little bit different when you start getting dialed into what's your revenue numbers and what's your, how is this actually supporting what you're doing for the business? And so I love that perspective and that's why I love marketing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like at the end of the day, as long as you're aligned with the company objectives and can point to what you are trying to accomplish as a marketer, then you can contribute to growth and not just be looked at as someone that is, you know, doing something that's ethereal or costing the business something. And as, as someone that I mentioned athletics earlier, as someone that's always been competitive and wanting to contribute to a win that sort of probably feeds the other side of my personality. (laughs) Well, and that's probably why you're on the demand gen side as well, right? Like that's, it's very tangible when you do demand gen, it's like a little less tangible when you're a graphic designer. (laughs) Totally. Exactly. (laughs) So what's a challenge that you've had to overcome in your career? Oh gosh. Name just one. Well, a couple of things, right? From, From a marketing standpoint, we were just sort of like dancing around it. Like marketing historically has been known as that cost center. So trying to actually prove value of what I do or what my team does or what the function does has been challenging, especially early on when we didn't have as much information and tools available to help us actually make sense of things. More personally, it's really finding finding your voice. Uh, So as someone that, you know, wants to help people, a people pleaser in nature, but also wants to win, there's this like, this sort of balancing act of what do I believe? What do I want to communicate? What do I have conviction about versus what am I responding to, to make the business or my stakeholder or somebody happy? And so I, I, I think over time, like I, I've learned that just because someone asks for something, I don't have to say yes. I can qualify it. I can understand it. I can modify a recommendation. I can say no and have a good reason not to. And throughout my career, I think there's been pr- plenty of instances where, you know, a stakeholder of mine has come and demanded something and I've just bent over backwards and martyred them to try to make it come to life, even if my gut told me not to do it. 
or there've been times when, you know, maybe my team or I or marketing in general hasn't gotten the visibility or credit that it's deserved. And, you know, I've had to overcome that by sort of like fighting my way for that voice to, to showcase that, you know, we are doing what we said we we're going to do. We are adding value to a business. So, uh, probably could get even more specific, but those two things really stand out. So I think one of the things that I think about, like in that instance where a stakeholder comes and they ask for something and you have to say no, for me personally, it's, it becomes sometimes a question of bandwidth and, you know, how do you, as, you know, as a leader, how do you maintain that work-life balance to make sure that you are hitting the needs of your stakeholders without interrupting, you know, your day-to-day? And do you feel that that's different for you as a female leader than it may be as a, a man in a similar role? Yeah, really good question. I have modified the notion of work-life balance to work-life harmony. And I do that because it's never equitable, right? Like sometimes your life depends, is more uh, demanding of you than work and vice versa. And only you can really be in control of that or in the know to what that is. And so as long as it's in harmony for how it's fulfilling you and in balance with what it, you know, you making good on what you need to get done. That's important. Now, as I mentioned, that ebbs and flows. So sometimes like work is, work is intense and my family and my hobbies don't take a back seat, but they are less of at the forefront for that period of time. And, you know, the inverse takes place too. You know, my, my kiddo started kindergarten this week, like milestone moment. And there was no way I was going to like miss the opportunity to be there with him on his first day, pick him up from school on his first day, spend extra time with him, understanding about how it went. Like that's, that's time you'll never get back. And so it's, everything comes down to prioritization. Now to answer the second part of your question, uh, I would be lying if I said, nope, it's always been really easy for me as a woman in corporate America or a woman in technology. It's just not the case. There have uh, been instances, especially earlier on in my career when I was single and without kids, where it was just like, oh, Tracy, of course you can go on the work trip. You can fly to four cities in five days. I even had a boss once say to me, you don't have any kids, so it should be easy for you. And, you know, like these are stories that unfortunately are too familiar to us as female leaders. What, what I think about that now is, or when I think about that now, I'm really grateful to have arrived at the place I am today in the sense that I now, (laughs) through my own experiences, know what I won't settle for and know what my deal breakers are and know how to use my voice to say, no, that's not okay. Or, hey, like, I didn't appreciate when you said that. Or, no, I can't travel because of X, Y, Z. Back then, I I didn't feel like I had the strength of voice to, to stand up for myself. And definitely fell victim to, you know, that, that inequitable treatment. Do you think that that's a lesson that you kind of teach to the people that you, you know, that are, you're on your team at this point that trying to teach them to have that voice earlier on in their careers? Yes. I talk a lot with my team, men and women about non-negotiables and deal breakers and making sure, you know, like 
at your core, what is important to you and what your personal and professional priorities are and living by them. As an example, when I joined Demandbase and I was talking to the folks that recruited me here, I was very clear that I, I didn't, I didn't want to work in an environment that had a bad culture. I didn't want to work in an environment that, you know, gave preferential treatment. And I could declare that, you know, not in a way that was demanding unnaturally. It was just, hey, like, this is what, this is what is important to me. This is how I am going to thrive and best support this company. And that's how I talk about it with my team today. Like, figure out what's most important to you. So you can be, I know this sounds cliche, your best self. And then like it, it all sort of works out for everybody. I love that. I think that that's, that's the mindset you have to take going into any new role. Because if you don't, like you've already left half of your requests on the table before yes. you even sat down in the chair. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. So one of the things that, you know, I think being in tech that whether people mean it or not, people will experience bias. So they'll, they'll come out of situation and, and present bias. Have you ever, as a woman in tech, experienced that? And how did you handle those situations? I think I kind of know from what you had just shared about kind of your travel experience, but yeah. um, is there any specific stories you'd like to share? Yeah, I'll save some. <laughs> but I think that I'm, I'm so glad that we are confronting the notion of unconscious bias, because although I've been, I have experienced very explicit bias, some of the, some of the more frustrating experiences in my career, I think have come uh, unintentionally. And now that we as just a society are sort of confronting our own uh, lack of awareness, I think hopefully over time those will get absolved. But for example, in a previous role at a previous company, we were planning an offsite for the entire go-to-market organization, a mix of sales and marketing folks, a mix of men and women. And a leader asked me and two women on the team to organize the event. And it wasn't our job. We were not the sort of like coordinators of any internal events. That was not our, our role at the company. And, and I, I, I'm actually kind of proud of myself because I confronted this person and just said, Hey, like, how come you didn't ask this person, you know? And, you know, it was a, a, a moment of naivety or I don't know, ignorance, if you will, but it stood out. Another time, you know, in putting on a, a major conference, you know, I was making sure everything was flowing. I was, I was making sure our attendees were in good graces and, and finding their way and having a great experience. I was making sure that everything from a production level was happening. And I just kept being asked by individuals to go get them coffee or go get them lunch or go get them run an errand for them when other, other folks, other employees were just sort of standing in the wings with nothing to do. And so these are like, these are kind of like cliche examples, but they, they happened. They are still happening, let alone some of the other more egregious things that have happened to people. Well, I think that that's, that's kind of the most common form of, of bias, right? Is the ones that it's the little cliche things that you don't think are actually happening. But when you sit back and you realize, oh, they've asked the one person, the one woman in the room to go and pick up dinner. They've asked the one woman to take notes. And then you start being connecting the dots and you're like, I don't think they're doing it on purpose, but 
it's still happening. And yeah. that's, I think, the little things that we have to train ourselves out of, of how do we balance those scales a little bit better? Yeah. I, I remember one time I was asked if I, uh, when, when joining a new company, if I was going to use our benefits or beyond my husband's benefits. And I, I was married at the time, but I just thought, what is one, why are you asking me that? And two, what makes you assume that he wouldn't be on my benefits or he even has benefits. Like what, you don't know anything about my personal situation, but it was just this like automatic assumption that, that I would, I, that, that would be an option for me. So yeah, it just happens. And like, look, the things that the, the stuff that we've heard about through things like the me too movement and the inappropriate behaviors that have occurred to many of us in our careers, those things are awful and we need to address them very, very explicitly. But I think some of the stuff we're talking about here today like, can be just as hurtful, if not addressed as well. Well, and it ladders to a bigger story. And I yeah. think that that's, what's, that's why it's so important to not just go after the egregious situations. It's if we, you know, everything is a stepping stone, that if yeah. we let X, Y, Z things slide over time, that becomes the norm. And then the yeah. next step up is the norm. And how do we, you know, we need to approach that and make sure yeah. that that's not happening if we really want to see change in the world that we exist in. For sure. And I'm so thankful that we are, many of us are exploring how to educate and change this behavior. And from both ways, from an awareness perspective, like confronting these situations, like even we're doing here today, but also like providing the education and language to those of us that want to take agency over our own voice and sort of stop the cycle. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's time. It is more than time for us to be having those kinds of conversations. When, when you're thinking about who you want to work for, or if you're going to partner with an organization, you mentioned culture is really important to you, but what are some of the things that you say, like, this is a deal breaker. I would never work for a company that does this. I want this, or I would never work with as a partner. I would never partner with these individuals because of X. Yeah. Uh, culture is a big one. I want to be aligned with the people I'm working with. I want people to be in it to win it together. Two, you know, mission driven is ideal, of course, but I also think in partnership with that is a company that is really built around its customers. And a lot of companies say that, but it's meaningful to me because of that impact I want to drive, that growth I want to drive. I don't want to do so at the sake of the customer experience or at the sake or at the risk of a bad outcome for these individuals or these, these companies. As I mentioned, part of my personality is why people are motivated to do something. So how I can encourage them to make a decision and help us grow our business, but it's also under the banner of wanting to help them. So even my role today, like I really believe in the te technology that demand base produces as a way of helping go to market professionals do better, more efficiently for their businesses. And I don't want what I quote unquote sell to them to be harmful to them in their career, harmful to their business. So what that means is I need to work for a company whose solution I believe in. I need to work for a company whose sales process and customer uh, support process is something that I'm aligned to and someone that an environment that sure is really wanting to grow as a business, wanting to have that payoff, but not at the, not the, not at the expense not, not in the way of stepping on others to get to that growth. 
Well, and I think in, in a demand gen mindset, it becomes really easy to focus on the new business, to focus on I'm responsible for bringing them here and whatever happens to them happens to them. And yeah. I think that that's, you know, as marketers, you don't want to dry, draw that line in the sand of that, like, I stand on the side of new business and here you go, customer marketing, best of luck. That doesn't do you any good in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, as a marketer it can be very, we, you know, this very well, we can invest our, our marketing budget dollars and go get as many clicks and conversions from a form and leads, if you will, into the system as we want. But is that the right thing to do for the business? Is that the right thing to do for the individual? No, probably not. So how do we sort of balance the the demands of our and expectations of our role, but also making good on the promise of what we're actually trying to do for this customer, for this account. No, I love that. And I think that the, the customer experience is such an important part of any business, but to think about it when you're looking at your partnerships or your career paths and how does that fit into the bigger picture of what you're trying to achieve? Because if you're on the inbound side, if you're on the front of the marketing journey, you don't want those people to go running for the hills after you've brought them in, right? Like, I think that that's, it's so important no matter what seat you're sitting in. Totally. Absolutely agree. Have you had a mentor that shaped you along your career path? And would you talk a little bit about that person? Yeah, I have one person that comes to mind. And this person is someone I still keep in touch with today. And he was very, very pivotal for me early on in my career. So I had been at a couple of companies. I, I started my career in a really, really small startup. So very much more of that learned by doing <laughs> experience of like oh, being dropped in the deep end and trying to figure it out. And then I went and worked uh, for Deloitte where it was like the opposite scenario. Like now, now instead of having to figure it out in the deep end, it was like, oh, how do I figure it out in the sea of people? Like, you know, and trying to work with in this very multi-matrix organization. And, you know, feel very grateful that I had that sort of introduction to my career, but I didn't really have a boss or a mentor that was sort of like helping me shape the direction of these experiences in relation to my talent or my interests. And before meeting this person that I'm referencing, I actually had sort of the inverse of that scenario. I had a really horrible, horrible manager that did all the things that you you know, wrote the, wrote the, wrote the book on what not to do as a leader. Like, you know, it was not just critical, but like, you know, called me stupid in a room for full of a hundred people. And like, you know, just was so changing their minds, but didn't communicate the change in their minds and then held you accountable for knowing how they changed their minds. And just really, really awful. It was a really, really negative, poisonous environment left that and then came to a new position and met this person who was technically my boss, but turned into my mentor. And he, he saw that I had learned all of this stuff on the job by myself, just by trying and, you know, failing and succeeding and really helped me understand what demand gen actually meant. Like explain it to me in a B2B world, in a B2B tech world introduced me to marketing technology, helped me understand concepts like nurture and automation and what that meant as part of the broader go-to-market picture. And then gave me a chance, like put me in a different role, put me in several different roles. For, for a minute, he put me in a product management role. Like, so I got to really be exposed to new things in the way that I had prior. 
dropped into the deep end, like had to figure it out. But this time it was in a safe way. Like he was there giving me advice, giving me guidance, shepherding me when I ran into roadblocks, roadblocks, whether it be like on the job or from a personality or personnel standpoint. And through that really helped me understand what I was good at and what I enjoyed. And then we together sort of got to like play with what came next. And when I ended up leaving that role, like he was sort of the person that I looked to for thoughts on this next step that I was going to take for myself and still does and still is that person for me. And, you know, I, I get actually somewhat emotional thinking about this because it was just this very low point in my life with that horrible manager and, you know, ran to this other opportunity. And I literally would not be where I'm at in my career had I not met this person and had him taken an actual vested interest in who I am as an individual, as well as a marketing professional. That, you know, I think that that is unfortunately so common for people where they have a really bad boss and they don't get to have that mentor. They don't get to have somebody who's really guiding their career and giving them those other opportunities. Maybe they're just beholden to numbers or they're beholden to outcomes and not that journey. And I think that's such an important part of leading people of that. You're really, you're not, you're, you're there. You are their gatekeeper for better or worse term. And it's your job as a manager to open those gates and unlock those doors, whatever they may be, even if it's the door to the place where they leave you, because that means you've been successful, right? It's like parenting to an extent. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And, and I think like double downing on what you said, it's also the selfless aspect of mentorship and leadership, right? Because in this, in, in my scenario, and I can only speak really for me, this person could have found more, more experienced folks to do some of these jobs. He could, he, it, there was nothing in it for him to help me guide, help guide me and my decisions for my career or help me sort of reflect and uncover what I was interested in good at. There was literally nothing in it for him. And in fact, there was risk in it for him when he put me in these situations that were so new to me. So that's another part of, of leadership and maybe where the notion of servant leadership somewhat comes from and that you really are seeing the potential and opportunity in these individuals and you care and you have experienced a benefit like this in your career that you want to pay forward. I, it just, I can't speak enough about how much passion I have for this because I've been so benefited by it firsthand. That's incredible. So what piece of advice would you give to women who are considering a career in tech right now? We've kind of hit on a few things. One, know yourself. So figure out what's important to you and and know that that will change. So whether that be stuff that's important to you in your your personal life, the things that you uh, know that you don't want to give up for work, uh, for tech, for your career, know those and revisit them frequently so that they stay true to who you are. Two, be very, very curious. You know, I never thought I would end up in technology. I grew up in the Bay Area, like I was surrounded by tech my whole life, but I was like, oh, no, I have no idea. I'm going to end up in technology. And so, and somehow I, I happened to land there. And I think, you know, part of my success, other than what I've shared already, is that I got really curious about every single solution technology that I was a part of. And as a marketing professional, got very, very curious about marketing technology specifically. 
and didn't, didn't burden myself or, or disrupt that, that work-life harmony, but still remained open still to this day, remain open and curious to new, new ways of thinking. And then three connect with people, you know, hopefully that of lands in a mentor mentee relationship, but if not like just creating that community outside of that is still so powerful as an introvert myself. The idea of networking is really, really hard for me, like going into a room and just trying to introduce myself and finding ways to, you know, finding like-minded people and relating to people that that can be very intimidating and daunting for me. Um, so finding other paths, whether it be virtually, whether it be in uh, community groups, uh, and then maybe expanding into other types of engagements in person or, or what have you, but finding that network of confidants that you can relate to that you can run ideas by. And, and like I said, hopefully a mentor in there along the way that would, th- those would be my three pieces of advice. Oh, I love that. I think that that is like, especially the networking piece. I think that that's one of the reasons I wanted to have more conversations with other female leaders was, you know, getting the opportunity to have these dedicated conversations with people, you know, across the world, across the country that doesn't require going to a happy hour that's put on by some organization that we've all paid some membership fee to. That's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tracy. I really appreciated getting to spend this time with you today. And I hope everybody else enjoyed hearing from you as much as I did. Thank you so much. And this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Sassy. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or join us on LinkedIn at Sassy Podcast to stay in the know about future episodes and guests.